thousands of children are school striking for the climate on the streets of Brussels. Hundreds of thousands are doing the same all over the world. Let's flood the world of climate activists. Let's get out of the zones of convenience and join forces and start taking ourselves more seriously. Welcome to our podcast. We are historians for future, and we want to know what historians and other researchers or activists have to say about a climate emergency, our history and our future. Our aim is to provide a historical perspective on the climate and biodiversity crisis we are facing. How did we get here and where might we go? Hi everyone, it's Elliot here. And for our final episode of the series, we're joined by Dania Ackerman of the University of Bern. Dania is here to talk to us about her research project, Ice Cores, Small States and Global Climate Change, for the topic, Histories of Climate Science. So, kicking things off, welcome to the podcast. Um, as a historian, do you care about the future? Well, that's a really interesting and uh, a difficult question. Um, because I think thinking about history is very much about the present. So the question we ask to the past are rooted in the topics that occupy ourselves today. And I think it's very similar when thinking about the future. So caring about the past or the future is both very much about the present. So very often I'm asked a similar but also very different question, namely, what do you know now as a historian now that you know the past tell us how the future will be but i think it's a really strange understanding to think that people will always behave in the same way no matter the circumstances just like following natural laws like a weather prediction based on the weather conditions of the last few days but i am interested in the future because this is exactly not the case and people are not caught in naturally predetermined patterns of behavior. So I am, as a historian, very much interested in uh, in the future, but also in how we think about the future today. Okay, that's very fascinating and really leads well into the next question, which is, how do you think this kind of work, so exploring histories of science or climate science, in the way that you are doing so, uh, how, how, how may that be important to tackle the kind of environmental and climate crisis that we are currently in? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, generally, as a historian, uh, we don't we don't really solve problems, right? I mean, we the history is not a problem solving discipline, Um, quite on I tend to say quite on the opposite, uh, the contrary, uh, we create problems, we problematize uh, current situations um, by taking situations or circumstances uh, not for granted. Um, So I may think that the knowledge of the past does not make us able to predict the future, but this historical knowledge can show that we can change the way we think about climate. 
Um, so for my from my own research, uh, for example, um, we can see that climate has not always been understood the same way it is today. Um, and today it is a very complex and abstract concept. Now we talk about um, the a global mean temperature change of 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius. So that's extreme. That's something calculated, uh, very abstract, nothing that we mm. can feel or sense immediately. Um, but this is a new understanding. And 100 years ago, uh, climate was understood in a, in a quite different way, something that could be sensed by human beings. Um, and uh, very much uh, a local or regional uh, concept um, based on humidity or, or temperature, etc. And um, also uh, the idea that climate, good or bad climate, there is good or bad climate uh, that has an influence on human health or could help to, to uh, overcome lung diseases, for example. And uh, this changed with the introduction of computer technology and also with the rise of prestige of, of physics with um, the political interest in uh, during the Cold War. And um, the, also the way people in Western countries thought about the natural environment changed. So the focus turned towards a global concept of climate in which human beings played no part except as emitter of greenhouse gases. So this history can show that our understanding of climate and the climate people relationship is not set in stone, but it depends very much on technological and cultural and political contexts and how we frame nature. So consequently, this can again change in the future. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, so you kind of touched upon it just then, but let's talk about your research now. So your current research, you are currently doing a project on ice cores, small states and global climate change, the rise of a new scientific discipline. Um, how did that come about? Um, I... Well, I, I worked in a different project before that, that was about the history of climate modeling. And um, I saw that ice core paleoclimatology plays an important role in modern today um, climate science. So the research on ice has become a um, fundamental pillar of modern climate science. and. I also realized that this has not always been the case. So I wondered how come that ice and climate has been thought together and ice has become a subject of climate research um, because up to the well, mid 20th century, ice research and climate research had very little in common. So I started to investigate um, how these two research fields came together and how the research on ice and the knowledge on old ice has influenced the way climate is researched and the way climate is understood. Okay. And so for our listeners that may be unaware of what ice core research is or ice core paleoclimatology, could you just give a brief definition? Uh, yes. Um, so 
ice core research is the study of old ice in uh, polar, or normally polar glaciers. So uh, these scientists drill into the ancient ice of, of these glaciers and um, they can study the different layers of uh, these ice sheets. And by studying these uh, well, different um, things about this ice, they can reconstruct, well, what is simply put now, they can reconstruct the climates of the past. So this has become a very uh, an important research field in climatology to reconstruct the climate of the past because it can help us to understand how climate works or that this, this climate global climate system works. Okay, fascinating. So what what are you actually specifically looking at in your project? I look at two um, centers of uh, ice core paleoclimatology. The one uh, in uh, Switzerland, University of Bern, and the other one at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, because I think they are really interesting <clears throat> because today they are, <clears throat> sorry, because they today they are at the forefront of international uh, paleoclimatology, even though they are both small countries. So Switzerland and Denmark, they're rather small countries and, uh, they are in competition with uh, great uh, scientific powers like the US or Soviet Union or um, France or Great Britain, etc. So one question is why, what were the circumstances in which this kind of research could thrive and was funded, could be successful? On the other hand, I'm also interested in how this kind of research changed climate science in general and the understanding of climate and climate change. Okay. Um, what have you found out so far? Or is it, was it too early to... Uh... Um, no, I can give a few examples uh, okay, of, yeah. of, my, of some results. Uh, the first question, so why, uh, what made Switzerland and Denmark uh, to be pioneers in this uh, research field? Um, I can say that in both cases, there are very different reasons for it, uh, political reasons and also cultural reasons. So while the pioneering studies happened on Greenland, and Greenland is, plays a very important role in uh, Cold War geopolitics and also in, in, in Danish politics, because Greenland was a part of Denmark, uh, still is in some way. Um, so there was this idea that we have to occupy Greenland um, in order to show presence. So fostering and funding and allowing research on Greenland had a political importance in Denmark. Um, now for Switzerland, it's very different. Uh, Switzerland is a country of the Alps. I mean, there's a lot of mountains and a lot of glaciers and uh, glacier research has a very long tradition in Switzerland. Um, and also actually uh, expeditions to Greenland 
also have a long tradition in Switzerland. So when it came to, to the mid 20th century and uh, all these ice uh, paleoclimatology emerged, um, Swiss government had an interest to pay a lot of money for the Swiss researchers to go to Greenland to participate in these expeditions and to leave a mark because um, it was a way to hold on to this pioneering glaciologist uh, um, identity and to show that there are still the experts when it comes to ice and snow. So there are different reasons why uh, governments were willing to fund such an expensive, and it's really an expensive kind of research um, to go on these expeditions, to drill into these eyes. It takes years um, to plan and, and perform these studies. Okay, what kind of time period was this? Um, it emerged in the 1950s and 60s, so it's Very more or less- Yes, uh, and it is also in the context of the development of uh, climate science um, with the idea that we have to study a global climate or climate is a global concept. And ice core research could offer a very detailed um, archive or very detailed chronology of uh, the changes in the atmosphere over thousands and hundreds of thousands and soon millions of years. So for in order to test uh, climate, the climate models, the novel climate models, this data was crucial. So there was an interdependency between the, de the development of modern climate science and the ice core research. Okay, interesting. So it feels as if your work kind of speaks to the interrelations between the science and, and the state and how they're kind of very much interrelated as opposed to maybe the public view where science and the state are very two separate endeavors. Um, yeah, fascinating. So did these two, so did they kind of work together or were they very much separate? Did they share methods or was it very institutionally kind of confined, if that makes sense. Mm. Or was it part of a, I mean, you've kind of mentioned it was part of a kind of global effort, but were they in collaboration with each other? Or were they just, you know, pursuing their own kind of efforts? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe I, I can also like following up uh, your last mm. question, why in the 1950s and 60s, it was after the Second World War in the Western countries, uh, physics gained a lot of prestige and physical approaches and physical technology. Um, nuclear physics, for example, um, yeah, enjoyed so much prestige. So there was so much money involved in this kind of research. And nuclear physics also offered um, the uh, radiocarbon dating technique, for example. So it was possible to date ice samples or water samples. So that was a crucial step mm -hmm. in, in the 
um, study of uh, old ice because, of course, you have to date it. You have to know how old this ice is before you can make conclusions about the, uh, the climate. So this came from a very different field of research than the climatology or climate science. And I think this is something we can see in other disciplines as well, where physics and physical uh, instruments and, and methods and theories traveled into other geosciences or geoscientific disciplines and, and changed it and created whole new research questions. Yes, very, very intriguing. Um, we are running out of time. So I will now give you my final question. So maybe a difficult one. What do we take away from this then? Um, and how might we go in the future? Where might we go in the future, sorry, with this kind of work? If, sorry, just to give you, if, for instance, all of this variable and multiple different histories of knowledge are coming out and revealing, making the kind of familiar strange, making the strange familiar concerning public understandings of climate change and climate science, where do we go? That may be a difficult question. Yes, it is. Um, but I think it's important to to know, and I mean, for us historians, it's we just take it for granted. But I think for many people, it's not um, obvious that um, what what we how we frame problems, how we understand problems today, is so much framed or or influenced by political and cultural uh, conditions, and so is science. Uh, science is not entirely detached from, from culture and society. And uh, studying the history of science uh, shows, can show this, that uh, it is always a question of uh, which problems are considered to be important and um, In the case of, of climate, what we understand as climate depends on this cultural and political context and also on the prestige of certain technology and fields of science and in this way also on the loss of prestige and authority of others. Mm -hmm.